Well, again, uh, happy Advent. Uh, it's hard to believe we are already at the third Sunday of the season. Uh, but it is, it's a special time of year. Uh, I love it. I know my kids love it. In fact, I just watched them yesterday sitting at the foot of the Christmas tree at night, guessing what was in some of the presents. Uh, and it was just a great sight. Uh, and as, you know, as, as the song says in many ways, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, it, it's, it's a time for so many, uh, a time for, for remembering, for celebrating, for anticipating. And, you know, th- this is a, a time embraced by so many people, not just in the church, but by our culture, maybe for different reasons. You know, we embrace Advent, the culture at large embracing the Christmas season, but we embrace this time of wonder and awe. You know, when I think about the great opportunities just locally, uh, all, all around us, to, to get caught up in enjoying the season, uh, you don't have to go far. Uh, you can just go back to the 18th century if you like. Uh, go over to Colonial Williamsburg, see what uh, Christmas would look like then. Of course, that got kicked off uh, last weekend with uh, Grand Illumination. Or drive down the road a little ways to Bush Gardens and go to Christmastown. Uh, but you don't even have to do that because I, I know that probably all of your neighborhoods. You just drive through, and so many people have Christmas lights everywhere outside, so beautiful at night. And I would bet at least nine out of ten homes uh, around here, and in many parts of our country, inside the house, you've got something celebrating Christmas. And of course, turn on the TV, the great Christmas classics and some not-so-great Christmas classics. Do you call them classics? I guess not. But uh, just the other night, I saw a few moments of Miracle on 34th Street and wanted to be a kid again. Why do we love this time of year so much? Why do we get caught up in it? Well, it's because we are invited into something bigger than ourselves. Something more beautiful, something hopeful, something hope-filled. We're invited into wonder and awe and anticipation. And in our passage this morning, we encounter a band of brothers, a company of wise men, magi from the east, on a long journey, on a quest, because they have been captured by something bigger than themselves. Something more beautiful, something hope-filled. They're caught up in wonder and awe and anticipation. And it starts when they see a star. And so this morning we shift from Matthew chapter 1 to Matthew chapter 2. Specifically, we'll be in verses uh, 1 through 12. And if you're using the Bible under the chair in front of you, you will find that on page 807. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Let's take a moment to pray, and then we'll hear God's word. Our good and gracious God, we thank you that you are the God who has come to us, the God who has come for us. And we thank you for a season uh, where we can afresh get caught up in the wonder and the awe and the anticipation 
And as we enjoy so much around us culturally, Lord, we pray that today, afresh, you would help us to to see that it points to something so much deeper in our hearts. Would you awaken us to the glories of the gospel in Jesus? For like the wise men, we want to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus more clearly and then delight in him more fully. And so would you now open your word to us and us to your word. In Jesus we pray. Amen. So now I invite you to hear the word of God from Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come. And worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And this is the word of God. Well, it's an amazing part of the Christmas story. uh, One that, that... we're very familiar with, and and Matthew includes it here because it's true. And two significant aspects of the story that we see are pursuit and adoration. And so that's how we're going to take a look at our passage this morning, Uh, pursuit and adoration. So first, pursuit, uh, verses 1 through 9. This part of the story begins. Verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Okay, so a, a company of men on an expedition, a journey, a quest. Now, I should go ahead and let you know these men were actually not kings. Okay, they, were, they were wise men. They, they have the wealth. We do see that later. They have the wealth of kings. 
but they're wise men. And and the Greek word for this, which is already in some of your uh, Bible translations, is magi. Uh, They they were magi. And this this is the, the Greek word. It comes from the same root as our English word, magic. You see, these men were pagan astrologers. Their practices included dream interpretation, study of sacred writings, and the pursuit of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, and often known to do magic. Now, there were some low life for sure, but there were also some that were highly esteemed, some that were really seeking to live a life of integrity and to understand the world around them, and so they were often sought out for counsel, for wise counsel, thus referred to as wise men. Now, no one knows exactly how many there were. We know that there were three gifts, and there were at least three of them. But there were probably dozens and dozens, dozens of leaders, soldiers, servants, and a large entourage that, uh, as one commentator noted, traveled up to a thousand miles over alien terrain. So they're coming, say, from the area of Iraq, uh, all the way headed west to Jerusalem. So this large group of, of men, these magi, why are they on this journey? What, what, is, what are they in pursuit of? Verse 2, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So they're looking for a newborn king. Or actually, more accurately, they are looking for a young child rather than a baby. I know I'm destroying some manger scene pictures right here. uh, But at least as much as two years have have already passed since the events of chapter 1. Later in our story, Matthew refers to the child rather than the baby. Uh, The family is now living in a house. You may have noticed that, living in a house, no longer in a stable. In the passage next week, you see a reference to two years. Okay, but let me put your hearts and minds at ease. Your manger scenes at home, they're okay. If you have three kings with three gifts in the stable with baby Jesus, that's okay. We're trying to get one big picture in one single snapshot. So, no worries. Okay, you're biblically fine. So, so the Magi, they've been following the star for, for weeks, if not months. But why? Why following a star? Well, as, as biblical scholar Michael Green points out, in the ancient world, most people believed in astrology. It's not surprising. The steady courses of the heavenly bodies represented the settled order of the universe. So... When some new astronomical happening took place, it was reasonable to suppose that God was breaking into his ordered world and making known some news, that something new might be happening. Now, just 50 years earlier, 50 years before this, a a grand event happened that really helped uh, the astrology business. This was not planned. You couldn't plan it. But at the the burial of Julius Caesar, over his grave, hundreds and hundreds have gathered, a supernova appears, a bright star 
And the astrologers were like, yes, credentials, credibility. Because this helped their business for a number of years. Because all of a sudden, bright stars were associated with the birth and death of kings. And who are you going to turn to to understand this but the wise men, the astrologers who study these things? Now, it's also interesting to note, and there are plenty of records on this, but we know that at the time of the events in our passage, there was actually a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn. It it, it appeared three times. It was visible uh, to the human eye three times in the same year. Uh, May 29th, October 3rd, December 4th. As R.C. Sproul notes, It may have been a planetary conjunction, or a supernova, or something purely supernatural, which seems most consistent with verse 9, and it's finally coming to rest, quote, coming to rest over the place where the young child was. But whatever the case, this is what we are definitely sure of. God was at work. God was at work leading these Gentile pagan astrologers. Now, eventually, they arrived in Jerusalem. And clearly, their entourage was large because it caught the attention of King Herod. And he wasn't happy, was he? Verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So who is Herod? Herod was a a ruler. He ruled Israel and Judah at the time of Jesus' birth. He had been appointed king of the Jews under Roman authority. He ruled firmly. He was a very skilled man, very gifted at what he did. Uh, But he, he ruled firmly and at times ruthlessly, even having murdered one of his wives, several of his sons, and even some other relatives. Because you see, he was extremely paranoid, always afraid that someone was after him, that someone was going to take his throne from him. And so to hear of the birth of another king was no doubt threatening. And if Herod ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. So what does Herod do? Picking up with verse 4. Assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, Herod inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet Micah, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The imminent threat to Herod's throne intensifies, and it's God's word that has made it clear. There is another king. So, verse 7. Herod uh, summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them exactly what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. 
And listening to the king, after listening to the king, the wise men went on their way. And so we see here, Herod begins his own pursuit of the Christ child. But we're not going to look closely at that today because we see it in more detail in next week's passage. So for now, what we see is the wise men leave Jerusalem. They head south about six miles to Bethlehem. Their pursuit of the Christ child continues. But before we shift gears, I do want to briefly point out that there is a much more significant pursuit going on here. It's God's pursuit of the wise men. I want you to notice the word behold. And it's not in everyone's translation, I know. It is in uh, the one uh, that we use here, the ESV. But the, the word behold shows up twice in our passage, uh, verses 1 and 9. And whenever the gospel writer Matthew uses the word behold, he's saying, pay attention. This is important. It's like an exclamation point before the important statement. Behold, verses uh, 1 and into verse 2. Behold, a new star arose in view of the wise men. God initiated with them. God got their attention. In a sense, if you will, God spoke to them in a language that they understood through the stars. And he said, follow me. Behold, verse 9. Behold, the star went before them and came to rest over the place where the child was. So not only did God get their attention, but he led them. He took them to Jesus. Verse 1 and verse 9 bookend the wise men's pursuit of the king. In other words, they are bookended by God's pursuit of them. And it's the same for us. God coming to us. God entered our story. And he's coming back to finish it. In other words, God bookends our lives. Amen? I mean, that is good news, friends. Okay, well, back to this particular part of the Christmas story and the wise men. We see that eventually they arrive at the place where the young child was. And what do they do? That leads to our second point. Second, adoration, uh, verses uh, 9 through 11. And if you want to read along with me again, beginning with verse 9. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Wow, what, what an amazing scene is unfolding here. It says that they entered the house, they see the child, and they fell down. 
They fell down and worshipped him. And the sense given here is that their legs just went out from under them. They couldn't stand. They fell to the ground and worshipped because they were so filled with wonder and awe in what they were beholding. In the presence of the divine, they hit the deck and adored their king. But why? Why these men? I mean, these are not God's people, right? I mean, they're they're not Jewish. These aren't Hebrew people. These, These are just pagan astrologers. Gentiles. Well, some of you, some of you are familiar uh, with the name J.C. Ryle. J.C. Ryle, 19th century uh, Christian, uh, Anglican bishop of Liverpool for some time, and he wrote a series of commentaries, wrote one on Matthew. And when he gets to this particular uh, scene, uh, this is what he writes of the wise men. They saw no miracles to convince them. They heard no wise words out of his mouth. They saw nothing but a young child on the lap of a poor woman, but they worshipped him. When they saw the child, they believed that they saw the divine Savior of the world. And we read of no greater faith than this in the whole volume of the Bible. It's a powerful statement. God is calling the nations to himself. People from every tongue, every tribe, every nation. And these men come and worship. Why? Because through God's grace, these wise men, these men who are in constant pursuit of wisdom, knowledge, understanding, and meaning, they see the child and they realize, this is what we've been looking for our whole lives. This is it. And they're filled with wonder and awe and anticipation and joy. Friends, whatever you have been looking for all your life can only be found in this child. Uh, C.S. Lewis And I know many of you are familiar with uh, his classic book, Mere Christianity. Uh, In that book, he writes this. "If If I find in myself desires which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Human beings are hardwired for wonder and awe. We are worshipers. We are in pursuit of joy, hope, and fulfillment. And he continues, This longing is deep in the heart of every human being. It wanders around in your soul. Your heart cries out every day to be enveloped by the glory of God. For we are on a quest, a quest for life, and there are only two places to look. We can search for life in what he created, or we can look to our creator, for whom and by whom all things exist. Did you hear that? 
That, that we as people, that we are hardwired for wonder and awe. That we are worshipers at our very core. Always in constant pursuit of joy and hope and fulfillment. That we are on a quest for life. And do you realize that it is that hard wiring within us? That is the very thing in all of us, Christian or not, that gets stirred up during this season, during this time of year. That's why so many people are filled with wonder and awe and anticipation during the Christmas season, during the most wonderful time of year. Because we are hardwired to enter into something bigger than ourselves. Hardwired for wonder and awe. And so like the wise men, we must learn to look beyond what the eye can see. You know, I think about these men, wise men, these astrologers. They were stargazers. They looked into the heavens every night. But what about us? I mean, most of us, most of the time, are looking about 10 feet in front of us. And that's all. But they looked beyond this world, beyond what the eye can see, to something bigger than themselves, something more beautiful and hopeful. Friends, encourage your soul to look beyond what the eye can see. As the writer of Hebrews puts it, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Okay, take, take a look at verse 10, and, and we're, we're going to end here. Verse 10. Notice it says that the wise men rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I mean, I love that phrase. It just, I, had, I don't think I'd ever really seen it before, but in reading it this past week, it, it just jumped off the page. So I looked it up in Greek, and interestingly enough, it says they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. I mean, no matter how you arrange the words, it's an emphatic superlative. Can you have one of those? I mean, that's what it is. But here's what I want you to see. Note that this rejoicing, in verse 10, note that this rejoicing takes place when? It takes place before they actually see Jesus. And why? Because they were certain that they would see him. Because they trusted the God who was in pursuit of them. Who was proving himself to be faithful and true and full of grace. And they were learning that faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. If we allow our souls to look beyond what the eye can see, this can be the case for you too. In, in, in the midst of life's hard, we can really know exceeding great joy even before we fully see him. The Apostle Peter makes it clear in his first letter to us. He writes, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. 
as you await the fullness of salvation when Jesus returns. You see, Advent is definitely a season for remembering and celebrating Jesus' first coming. But equally, it's also a season for anticipating his return. That's what's getting stirred up in us, friends. This is a season for looking beyond what the eye can see. That's what your heart is crying out for. It's a season to be gripped by the victory of God. By the gift of God in Jesus. The one born on Christmas Day. The one born to die for us. That we might be forgiven of sins. That we might be reconciled with God. And that one day we might be raised with him when he returns to make all things new. His second coming. His second coming. Advent. God entered our story, and he's coming back to finish it. This is the gift of Christmas forever. Don't miss it. Let's pray. Oh, our good and gracious God. Would you give us eyes to see, the eyes of our hearts, that they would see as clearly and rejoice as fully as these wise men that you called to yourself. Lord, we thank you that you have come to us, for us in Jesus, that we might know you powerfully and personally that we might be filled with joy, wonder, awe, and anticipation. Thank you that in him, through faith, we're now part of your forever family. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, we long for your return. And we pray, come, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.